Okay, so as you heard, Rich, Rich isn't here today. So, so my name's Justin. I'm not the pastor. However, I do uh, help out in the back with the, with the little people. We call them little people. I call them little people because they, they are people. They're just littler than you. So I also teach... I also teach sixth grade in elementary school in Warwick. So there I teach bigger people than me. So, uh, so, so I'm an elementary school teacher. Sixth grade this year is a little, a little new for me. It's, I used to teach third, so now I'm on to sixth. So it's a challenge. It's been a growing year for me, a new curriculum. A lot of them, there are a few that are a little bit smarter than me, actually, so I have to stay on my toes. Um, so I'm... My wife, Nicola, is, is here. We have four beautiful children and one on the way. I don't know if you knew that. So I'm making that public. So one on the way. So, so life is pretty, pretty crazy, pretty, pretty busy, but it's full. I have a full life, so that's good. Uh, and life is fast, right? I just, I just turned 34, and I've been a Christian on this journey for... 17 years, so about, you know, half of my life here. And um, as time goes on, one thing is I notice in my family, right, and myself, is, is we collect things, don't we? Uh, my children collect things. We collect as a family, we collect things. So these, these collections. So I'd like to show you a collection. Can you see what that is? This is a collection that my daughter, Abby, has. This is a collection of stickers all over her wall, right? We also collect Sunday school packets and crafts. I'm sorry, those of you who also collect those at home. Your children, you collect those. So, we, you know, kids collect things. We hold on to things. I can't, I can't be too judgmental. This is a collection I have. This is, this is, you know, this is a collection of rocks I've had since I was a kid, I dug them out yesterday, took a picture so you could see that. So, so what are some other things that we, that we collect in life? What, what kind of things do we collect? This is, this is a, a question for you. What are some? Shells, shells yeah, in the ocean state, right? We collect shells. Junk. <laughs> Sometimes, yeah, yeah. Junk to somebody, maybe not to us, right? Jewelry. Anybody collect trophies? Have a couple? Yeah. I have one or two. Pictures? Collect pictures? Books? Cards, yeah. So we have these collections, things we, we hold on to, we keep. So why do we hold on to them? This is another question for you. Why, why would we hold on, after all these years, of these rocks sitting around? Why would I do that? Why, why do we collect things? Memories, yeah. Nostalgia, yeah. Reminds us of some. We enjoy take, looking at them, yeah. Think they'll be worth something someday. Yeah, I might need this. I might, I'm going to hang on to this someday. Baseball cards. Yeah, that's right. I might need it. That two-foot piece of trim in your basement. I can't, I just can't, I gotta hold on to it. You know what I'm talking about. So, 
so what, okay, so do you agree that we only have so much room for things? So what's it called when we have too much hoarding? Hoarding, yeah, hoarding. We've seen the show, maybe. Clutter. Junk, mess, right? There's a mess. So, so we, so just like we hold on to these items in our physical space that take up room, um, I'd like to make the argument, too, that we have thought patterns or things we store in our minds. And our minds become a collection of thoughts. And those collection of thoughts, we can hold on to certain kinds of thoughts that form patterns and, you know, uh, I would say even strongholds that can be, that can be negative. Um, sometimes these thoughts that we collect, that we hold on to, could be damaging. And we might not realize it, but they might be lies, uh, doubts, or portions, uh, partial truths or distortions of reality. So that's what I, what I want to talk about today a little bit are these, these negative things. And I, I like to call them, call them ants because it's kind of easy to remember ants in our, in our brain. So ants stands for their automatic negative thoughts. And they're automatic because we might not realize it, but they're, they're just, they just kind of bounce through our brains and, and we don't, maybe, we're not consciously aware of it, but they're in there and they come back. They cycle through. Okay? So they recur. Maybe there's some wound that, that we have, we had as a child or, or some trauma we experienced and we get this, this thought that repeats. Now, I have a great relationship with my stepfather uh, now in my family, but growing up, it, 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 was, it was tough, and God's redeemed and done a big work in my, in my family, but you know, I remember as a kid struggling with being called stupid, and that recurring thought comes back sometimes. You, you know, you're going to fail. You're stupid. So there's this intellectual inadequacy. Maybe it's a thought about physical problems. We've been shoveling snow a lot lately, and I've had the thought recurring about every three days, and I'm falling apart. I'm getting old. My, my knees hurt. My, my back hurts. So this recurs. Hopefully now, like Chris said, the spring is on its way. So that's good. How about spiritual victory? We have thoughts that are related to maybe sin or, you know, I can't help it. It's just the way I am. I'm never going to change. It's just, that's just the way it is. Just, you know. Or with that, thoughts of rejection from others or God. You make a mistake, you sin, you mess up. God, how could he love me? How could he, how could he accept me or forgive me or receive? He doesn't love me. Now, you might think, well, I don't have thoughts like that, but I, I challenge you to, to, to check that because sometimes they're so subtle and under the surface that, that we don't notice them. But they, if, you, if you take a moment, think, think about that, these ants. So just as there is only so much space in our physical homes to store things, 
in our brains, I don't know about you, but my mind, I, I can only focus on so much at once. I'm, I'm not a good multitasker. But <clears throat> I have to choose, do I collect those thoughts? Am I going to focus on those thoughts? Or am I going to focus on Jesus' words about me and to me? And we call these, you know, they're promises. And so the message today is hold, hold on to the promises of Jesus and so in John 4, 43, you can turn there now. John 4, 43 through 54. We're going to talk about the, the royal official, also called the, the nobleman, and how Jesus healed his son. And the nobleman, or the royal official, was somebody that held on to Jesus' words, to his promise. So we're going to take a look at that. So you can turn there. So let's, let's pray. Dear Lord, I just confess to you that, uh, that people came here to hear your word, not my word. And so I pray that the things that, that I share here today would be from you. And those things that aren't from you, you would just cut them out and uh, take, them, take them out of the scenario. And I just pray that you would put your word in our hearts that you would help us to hold on to your promises, that you would put your finger on any of those negative, recurring thoughts that are from the enemy, that are lies, that you would put your finger on those things and help us to let go of those and hold on to your promise to us, specifically those things that you want to speak to us about today through your Holy Spirit. So we invite you here into our lives, into our midst, and actually, you promise you are in our midst already, so we thank you for that, that you're here. We just pray that you to give you room to, to work in us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So just to give you a, a little outline, what we're going to do is look at an example from Scripture about a man who held on to Jesus' promises. We're going to take a promise. I'm going to address some of those ants. We're going to take a promise today and you're going to go home with a specific promise to you. And then your homework this week. Now, you, you couldn't ask an elementary school teacher to come up here and teach and not give you homework. So you're going to have homework. You're going to take that promise and you're going to meditate on it this week and, and take it with you. So that's what we're going to do. So verse 43, chapter 4. It says, <clears throat> after the two days he left for Galilee. Now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, for they also had been there. So Jesus, what, what he's talking about here about a prophet not receiving honor is he's talking about Nazareth, which is in Galilee, which is where he was from. And if you look in Luke, don't look there now, but if you did look in Luke chapter 4, you'd see that this is where they tried to throw him off a cliff because he stood up and basically told them who he was, the Messiah, and they tried to kill him. So they didn't receive him. So... He also had some increasing hostility from the, the, uh, the area around Jerusalem, Judea, the religious leaders. So the people that should have accepted him 
because they knew who the Messiah, that the Messiah was going to come, they should have known the prophecies. These are the people that they rejected him. They didn't receive him. They said, I'm all set. You've heard that before, right? I'm not originally from Rhode Island. I've been here for about eight years, lived here eight years, been traveling back and forth when I lived in Pennsylvania for about 12. And this is a saying at first when I heard it, I thought it was pretty rude, but now it's one of my favorite sayings because it pretty much answers any solicitors, people coming to your door, someone asking if you want some help in the store, do you need anything? I'm all set. I'm all set. So they, so I, I kind of like this because it, I'm all set. Leave me alone. So, so these people were people that said, I'm all set. So this brings me to a point here. Before I can hold on to Jesus, before I grab hold of his promise, I have to recognize that I actually need, I need him. So in order to grab on to something, hold on to something, I have to think I need it. So these folks, and it, it reminds me, these folks remind me of what Alex was talking about last week, if you were here, um, about people who don't recognize their need. And that's the first step. So these people, they pretty much discarded Jesus. He was the stone the builders rejected. These were, would represent the skeptics and the doubters. Okay, so... So then you have the Galileans, the other, Gal- the other type of people. They welcomed Jesus. They welcomed him. Now, they may have welcomed him because of the miracles that he did or because they were just along for the show. I'm not sure. Uh, but they could see that there was something about Jesus they needed. They needed this, this Jesus, this God-man. They needed him. Okay. So go on to verse 30, uh, 46. Once more he visited Cana and Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. So here we have a man who definitely recognized his need for Jesus. Now, he was a royal official. And if you think about a royal official... I don't know his specific title, but somebody of an important political position or standing, you think of this guy coming to beg Jesus. So nothing else mattered. His, his, you know, he let go of some things in order to hold on to Jesus. His reputation didn't matter. His standing and you know, what it would look like, his, his, his pride. Maybe the methods of the world Maybe he tried all the doctors and all these other kinds of avenues. None of that mattered. All he cared about, he needed to, to find Jesus, to grab a hold of him. He was begging Jesus. And I just see this, a man desperate on his knees begging Jesus, pleading with Jesus. And so you see an attitude of humility here. And it reminds me of the scripture about, in James it says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So this man knew how to approach Jesus. He came humbly, letting go of his reputation, letting go of all those things. Now, it's interesting. Some of you may have experienced this to a greater degree, but I do remember one night, Varric, he's two now. He was maybe about one year or a little younger. He woke up in the middle of the night with croup. We didn't know that at the time, 
but he was, his eyes were doing weird things, rolling back in his head. He was shaking. And, you know, you, you have this feeling when it's your child of such desperate helplessness. There's nothing you can do. You know, especially as a dad, I think moms tend to be a little better at recognizing the signs and taking immediate action. I'm just like, I don't know what to do. I'm out of my element. So she took, Nicola took him to the hospital and he was okay. But this is, I mean, he wasn't, I don't, at the time maybe I thought so, but he wasn't close to death. He had a fever and he had croup and he was okay. But I can't imagine what this man was going through. Uh, but he was desperate. And it was a 20-mile journey that he took, and he, he begged Jesus to, to heal his son. Now, this is, what's funny about Jesus that I find is interesting is I'm thinking, oh, man, that's great. Just heal the, heal the guy's son. I mean, go with the guy. I mean, come on. He's such a, he's, he's begging you. He's desperate. Come on. This is what Jesus says, verse 48. Unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe so this is the kind, gentle Jesus. He's rebuking him a bit and also rebuking the crowd and the Galileans and maybe why they were following him. So Jesus, he's healing, but he's also teaching a lesson. He's always teaching. The healing is, it's, I don't want to say secondary, but it's almost like Jesus is concerned with making disciples. And if this man just got his son healed but didn't understand the truth and who Jesus was, then he would have been missing a big part of it. And so this is, I just thought this was interesting. And if you notice in the end, the method Jesus uses to heal the son is not that he goes with him, he heals him from a distance. So the man wanted, you know, he could have been wanting to see a sign or wonder. He was expecting Jesus to do this miracle a certain way. He knew he could, or he wouldn't have come to him. But he was expecting Jesus to heal his son in this method, come with me and you can heal my son. So Jesus is healing and teaching at the same time. So maybe he was addressing that their faith was based on these, these activities, these signs or wonders. And Jesus never wants us to hold on to, to the sign or wonder. He wants us to hold on to him and, and believe in him uh, primarily. Now, he, he does heal, that's true. But we can't put our faith in, in, in that. Some things aren't seen. We, we have a, a, a hope in a, of a future that we don't see the promise of the future. And we have to, to wait and be patient and hold on to that. So it's not always a, a physical thing that we can see. So I just thought that was pretty interesting. Now, verse 49, the royal official, now he had persistent faith. He says, sir, come down before my child dies. So he does, he's, he's polite, he says, sir, but he's persistent. He doesn't just accept that answer and then go away, oh, all right. But he presses Jesus. He's desperate enough to not get offended because of his position, and he presses into Jesus. But he still had some misconceptions, right, about his son dying. Now, if his son died, Jesus could still raise him from the dead, right? He, he'd done that before. So, again, Jesus is addressing, he's teaching, trying to get the man's faith to grow. Now, this is my favorite part right here. Verse 50, it says, Jesus replied, You may go, 
your son will live. So here's the promise. The promise was that, go ahead, it's all done. It's taken care of. There's the promise right there. And I really like and appreciate the man's response. It says, the man took Jesus at his word and departed. Which is, to me, I think that's impressive because what sign did he have at that point? He had nothing except Jesus' word, the promise. He didn't have a receipt, a proof of transaction, a handshake, nothing. All he had was Jesus' word, and that's all that, it, that he needed. That's the, pro the promise. And working in education, often you get the question, well, did you document it? When you go to the principal or you go to a team meeting, if any of you are familiar with how, the, how those work, you have to give some evidence to why you think the student needs certain care or help. And they said, well, did you document? Do you have any evidence? What's your you know, documentation? So this guy, if he went home and said, well, Jesus promised, what? Okay, where's your, where's your proof? Where's your documentation? You have nothing. Ah. So this is not really a great business transaction, right? But the man had faith in Jesus' word. And that's the primary message, the point today, is, is, is holding on to this promise. And so there is an element of faith, faith in the person making the promise. Jesus is the one that made the promise. Jesus is worthy of our trust and our faith. And this, what I like about this is it shows Jesus' power over distance to, to heal. He's, omn he's omnipresent. He didn't need to come with the man. And so I, I like this. I can relate to this become, because sometimes I feel that Jesus' healing is, you know, in him as a person, he's far away from me. You ever feel like that? Sometimes I feel like that. And that song, the song we sang about um, I'm not alone, it, it kind of re reminds me of this. He's right here with us. He's with, he's with me. He promised to be with me. He can heal at a distance. Verse 51. So the man departed. Verse 51, it says, While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, he said to him, The fever left him yesterday at the seventh hour. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and all his household believed. This was the second miraculous sign that Jesus performed, having come from Judea to Galilee. So, so the man took Jesus at his promise and he departed. And what's interesting is that he didn't get there until the next day. And so I looked this up a little bit and studied it. And the argument could be made that he, he didn't rush home. It was about 20 miles. He could have made the journey, but it would have been at night, and he could have decided that, you know what? I take Jesus at his word. He promised. I don't need to rush home. So his outlook changed. His perspective changed. His attitude changed. Everything changed because he believed Jesus' word, his promise. So he didn't rush on it. It was the next day. But there were still elements of his faith that needed work. And so it was, it was after he'd seen. 
and experienced this, this healing. He, his whole household believed. And I, I would make the argument even that Jesus' whole point in this was the final, was the final um, miracle here, that his whole household believed. That's, more, that's almost a bigger miracle in itself to get an unredeemed person you know, to bring them salvation, born again, as we heard last week. His whole household, just by this man taking hold of Jesus' promise, believing, and having this, this intervention. So he had a confident faith. He hung around for a little bit and then went home the next day with a new outlook and attitude and perspective. So what, what can we take away from this today? Sometimes I hold on to ants rather than the promise of Jesus. I hold on to these automatic negative thoughts, and sometimes I don't catch them. These recurring thoughts, these cycles of thought. It could even be bitterness, unforgiveness, a misunderstanding of maybe my circumstance. That's what the man, you know, he didn't look at the circumstance. He didn't hold on to the negative. Well, how... You know, he didn't beg Jesus, please, just, I know you're saying you're going to heal him, but just come with me to just reassure me. You know, he didn't do that. He, be, he believed it. He believed Jesus. So if I let these thoughts, these ants, these negative doubts, lies, these things, if I let them take a front seat, they can dominate my, my emotions, my feelings. And the emotions or feelings are tricky. They always change. God's promises don't. And so what we hold on to at the forefront of our minds will depend on the victory. If I hold on to these negative things, you notice how you, you get something and you dwell on it and it just goes through. And if it's something that's not true, it can, it can destroy my faith, really. So I need to take Jesus at his, at his word like, like this man. For example, in the, in the beginning I talked about you know those feelings sometimes that I get at work or something I'm doing, I'm just going to fail. This is going to be a disaster. Okay, so in, those, in that case, and these are just, like I said, a collection. We collect stones. These are just a few verses that I've collected, God's promises that I go back to because of these ants in my brain. So I, I like to go back and, and hold on to these because it's a constant struggle. The battle is in our mind. So this verse I really like because I don't always feel wise or smart or that I know the right thing to do. And so I fall back on this. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. So I can hang my hat on that. That's a promise. So the, the, the idea that I'm stupid really is an outright lie because God made me in his image. He's made wisdom available. And I just have to ask in faith. Sometimes the lies or the negative thought is a part truth, like a half truth or a distortion. So when it comes to physical health, I like to go back to this one. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18 says, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we're wasting away. This is true. We are getting older. Yet inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. We're, getting, we're drawing closer and closer to Jesus returning 
or, or when I die, this tent will disappear, the outward tent, and I'll be with him forever. So inwardly we are being renewed day by day, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. That's the promise. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. This is a little, little I pull out when I feel like I'm physically beat up and, man, I'm 34. Oh, what am I going to do? So, so here's one. Temptation. I'll never, I'll never get better at this. I'll never overcome this weakness, this anger I have, or gossip when I'm just in the lunchroom at school and everyone's talking bad about somebody and I just throw in my two cents. It's just, I can't help it. But no, 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, No temptation has seized you except that which is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so you can stand up under it. So there's a way out of each temptation that we have. That's a promise. So how about, okay, I've, I've taken the bait. I sinned. I feel shame. I feel guilt. What do I do? And I've, I've even asked Jesus to forgive me. And I still feel this way. What do I do? You go to Romans 8, 1, and then later on, you, come, you could read the whole, you hang on to the whole chapter, but these are just little nuggets, verse 1 and verse 34. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Not only that, but who, who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died? More than that, who raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. So he's, not only does he forgive us and there's no condemnation, but now he's, He's our, he's our advocate. He's our lawyer. He's, he's defending us at the, right, at, the, at the right hand of God there. So that's a promise. So holding on to these promises can activate my faith and change my outlook and my attitude. And so what I like, it says in verse 50, the man, the man departed. He took Jesus at his word and departed. So as you depart today, what I want you to do, this is your homework, is what promise will you hold on to this week? Now, these are just four that we talked about. There may be something God's been putting on your heart that you can, that you can hold on to. It's personal to you. So these are just four. If you like them, you can, you can um, use them. So what I would like to do is I have some folks that are going to pass out some cards and some pens. And I want you to look up this verse. Uh, one verse, pick one, and write it on the card that is passed out. We're going to listen to a song by Sanctus Real. Hold on. I forget the title. Hold on to his promises, I think, is the title. And while we're listening, what I'd like you to do is write down this verse and hold on to it this week. Meditate on it. Now I have one here. I just sometimes I take them to work, I stuff them in my pocket at lunch or whatever. I pull it out because I forget very easily things. This is Galatians 6 9. This is one that I like to hold on to. And let us not grow weary in well doing, for in due season we will reap 
if we do not lose heart. And that applies to sometimes I feel like, what's the point? Oh, this is, I'm tired. I, I can't, I can't do it. I want to give up. So in, in due time, we'll reap that harvest. So, so pick one of these or one that you have been thinking about and write it down on the, on the card. Write the verse. So as you <clears throat> write that down, I just want to review. So we talked about these collections, the things we hold on to. Sometimes they're negative thoughts that can be destructive. And we want to take the, the royal official, the, the nobleman's example, that he was humble, he recognized his need, he let go of things like his reputation, the ways of the world, the self-help, and he took, he took Jesus at his word. So he wrote down a promise. You have a promise. And my hope and prayer is that this will activate your faith this week and you'll have a new, a new attitude, a new perspective. So, so let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your promises to us that you promised never to leave or forsake us. You promised to give us grace and strength for this life. And not only that, but you prepare a place for us in heaven to be with you forever, and that's a promise. And you're also coming back. You're going to make a new heaven and a new earth. So we thank you for that promise. We pray that you would help us to let go of these destructive thoughts that perhaps are there because of wounds or pain or trauma that we've picked up throughout our lives and we just let those go. We choose to let go of those, of those thoughts. So we ask that you would heal us, give us the strength to hold on to you. We thank you that not only should we hold on to you, but you hold on to us. And you never let us go. And so we give you this day. And we thank you for it. We do, again, want to lift up Rich and Paula, that they could hold on to your promise during this time, this difficult time in their lives and their, in their family. They, they could just hold on to you in this, in this storm that they're in. And we thank you for this church. We thank you for this body of believers who, who love you and are here today. So just bless us, go before us, and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So thank you guys. God bless. And may you take Jesus at his word as you depart from this place.